Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to Book to Earth, Chapter 18, The Earth King. We're getting really close to the end of this season. And we should also say that this is our first recording. This is kind of a, a test for us. This is our first recording uh, with you in Seoul and me in Minnesota. So uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to kind of work out some kinks here. So if you notice anything here, we're you know we're we're trying this out for the first time. We're going to be finishing up season two um, with the last three episodes of season two. We'll record this way, and then we'll. Um, maybe take a little bit of a break and then in the summer we'll start to uh start our trek through season three so uh any any thoughts on this episode before we get started man it's i mean it's teeing us up right like <laughs> uh it, it feels like it kind of tricked me at the end honestly and i've seen this before but at the end of this episode i felt like there was resolution and then there's not. <laughs> right, and, and right. It felt like everything was setting up for the last two episodes. And I think this episode has a very different shape than what we're used to. If we think, and this isn't entirely true, but if you think about a standard Avatar episode and really a standard kind of superhero movie or things like that, we're used to a situation where you have. A whole bunch of setup, and then you have some sort of fight sequence or action sequence, and then a little bit of resolution. Mm -hmm. This episode flips that on its head. It has a big action set piece almost right away. And I kept, you know, as we take notes, I always wait for the action set piece because it's like, oh, those are easier to take notes on because we don't have to, there's not a lot of dialogue. So I kept assuming we're going to have this set piece early, and then we'll have a set piece later. This doesn't have a later set piece. It has a massive one at the beginning, and then, and then we don't see anything uh, after that in terms of action. Instead, we get tons of plot and tons of um, kind of moving things forward. And I said that the last episode felt like it was setting the pieces up for the end game, and this feels like it picked up where that left off and said, "Let's just arrange a couple other things, and then let's really let let's really send some characters off, literally in some different directions." Right. It seems like they the writers were just slowly walking their way into it, like taking their time setting it up well. Um, even so, we get we get the side plot with Zuko and Iroh too. And that also helped to slow it down. There's no, literally no action going on between those two. But um, tons of, of plot. Yes, it's super important. And I really do love this episode. But you're right. It, they're taking their time and I appreciate it. All right. So let's jump right into the episode. Uh, so the, the, the episode starts and we're on a small island uh, in a lake of some kind. I assume this is Lake Laogai still. Um, it's it's not entirely clear. I don't have a sense of how big Lake Laogai is. Is this like a major feature? Because sometimes it feels like it's this small little lake, or maybe that's just a bay of a much larger lake. So I, I assume this is Lake Laogai because it sort of feels like they're picking up right where the last episode left off. And we see Aang and Momo embracing Appa. And then we have Sokka, Katara, and Toph, and they're having a conversation kind of about what we had been talking about. Like, where do you go from here? Do you go back to the Earth King or not? So 
Um, Sokka says, look, we escaped from the Dai Li. We got Appa back. I'm telling you, we should go to the Earth King now and tell him our plan. We're on a roll. And this is going to set up a big theme of Sokka in this episode. He's picked up a new identity, and it's positivity. <laughs> um, so Katara says, one good hour after weeks of trouble isn't much of a roll. Sokka says, we can build on it. If we want to invade the Fire Nation when the eclipse happens, we need the Earth King's support. Which is interesting because they're still really attached to the idea that the Earth King has some real power. I'm not sure that that's true. Because we haven't really seen him. The Dai Li seems powerful, and Long Fang seems in charge of the military. So, at this point, I was I was kind of on Katara's side. Like, why don't we just go leave this place uh, and do something different. And it's funny too, because I think in this episode, Katara and Sokka do kind of switch their tone. Katara seems to be the one that's more positive and ready to move forward. And uh, Sokka seems like one who's more ready to move sideways, and like uh, move somewhere else, right? Um, especially because he's, he's really skeptical about, um, about how things are gonna work out where Katara is the one that's hopeful. And so like, I think Sokka is positive in this and he's hope. Um, he even brings up hope a little bit later. Uh, and he also, to me, reminded me of Katara um, in the episode on the ship, right? When she's like giving a speech and trying to uh, encourage people um, to keep going. So it's, I don't know, it's, it almost feels like Sokka's just trying Katara for the day. Yeah, no, I, and I, I like I like thinking about it like that. I think that's kind of the kind of the right way. So they continue to talk about this. Toph definitely seems on the side of Katara. She has no interest in bossing say to begin with. Um, Katara says uh, Long Fang is in control of the city. His conspiracy with the Dai Li is too powerful. I think we should just keep flying and leave this horrible place behind us. Toph says I'm with sweetness. I've seen enough of bossing say, and I can't even see. Um, so we have Toph and Katara both saying, let's get out of here. And and I think Katara points out a, something important, which is just because they got Appa back and they won this fight against the Dai Li, it doesn't mean that all of the infrastructure that, that the Dai Li has put in place is gone. Presumably Long Fang gets out of the lake a little bit embarrassed and wet and goes back to running things in bossing say. Uh, but then we see Aang jump in and he says, but now we have Appa back. There's nothing stopping us from telling the Earth King the truth about the conspiracy and the war. Sokka says, it's the whole reason we came here in the first place. We have to try. And they're kind of winning Katara over. She says, I guess if the Earth King knew the truth, things could change. And Toph says that she doesn't trust the new positive Sokka. Uh, and as they're having this conversation, we see three ships sailing off in the distance uh, and they kind of recognize that that's probably the daily looking for them. So this is their impetus to leave. So they, they hop on Appa and they decide to fly to the earth King to try to make their case. So we see the gang flying on Appa to the, uh, to the earth King's palace. And I had forgotten that in Appa's lost days, we see that they ransack the saddle and then Appa doesn't have his saddle anymore. So we see the gang literally holding on to Appa's fur for dear life as they're flying. Um, oh. as... And poor Toph. Just poor Toph. <laughs> right. Because now she, she already can't see. And now she just 
doesn't have anything to literally anything to hold on to. Uh, and she hates flying to begin with. Katara says, we have to be careful. Long Fangs probably warn the king that we're coming. And Sokka says, why would you assume that? If you ask me, I think we're just going to sail right in. And at this point, we see this huge boulder fly at them. And we realize that the Dai Li is firing these giant rocks up at Appa. And did the shape of the rocks remind you of anything? I didn't notice. They look a lot like these. This is not like an insightful comment, but just in terms of the shape, they, they are basically the shape of like Reese's peanut butter cups. Like they're these weird. I don't know why they picked that shape to be like they're because they're kind of like these trapezoid disc shapes. It's very strange, but so they're firing at them and Aang, we see Aang kind of committed in a way we don't uh, always see him. He is like hyper focused destroying these boulders as they're flying at him sometimes it's like it's even like no look like he'll be staring ahead and he'll just reach out to one side and destroy that and and, and crush one or air bend one or earth bend one apart the man is on a mission and so is oppa like i feel like both of them this is more about revenge than anything else like god uh, they had his best friend locked up uh and like in poor conditions and they lied to him about it uh, so, so it seems like he's out to get him. Yeah, he's definitely not over, uh, not over this. Um, and we see Aang as they start to approach the ground. He jumps out in front because he wants to hit the ground first before anybody else. And on the ground, we see a phalanx of Dai Li are aligned against them to keep them out of the palace. And Aang, when Aang jumps down off of Appa and hits the ground, he earth bends stones in the ground and they sort of like pop up like reverse dominoes to kind of knock over this huge phalanx of, of Daily soldiers. And at this point I realized like in the background of this season, Aang has become an unbelievably powerful earthbender. Like there isn't this aha moment. I mean, there is in bitter work. We see the aha moment when he's like, Oh, I can earthbend, but somewhere along the way he's become unbelievably powerful and this kicks off like i said the big action set set piece for the episode and it is really just this display of how powerful particularly toff ang and katara are yeah i think it's also interesting because it mirrors what toff's training was right she would have something sent straight at ang and ang didn't have time to respond it was literally just like in the moment he needed to act, he couldn't think about it. He couldn't measure things. And so I think it's a really smart way for the writers to say, yeah, like he's actually doing really well because, you know, there was some training midway through the season, but then the rest, it's just been him responding to situations happening to himself and his friends and to Appa. So um, it's really like in the moment training. And now he's, I mean, he seems like he's at a master level, if not really close. That's really interesting because you're right. It really is a version of her rolling that boulder down the hill at him. That's been the rest of the episode. The rest of his training has been just having to deal with these things in the moment. So uh, I love that there's, there's a scene where after Aang comes down, um, Appa hits the ground and he's sort of staring face to face with this uh, earth soldier general guy on a, an ostrich horse and it's this stare down of this general on this horse which is 
a, would be this big imposing thing, except Appa is enormous and Appa just sort of growls and the ostrich horse runs away. Um, and then we see everybody hops off of, uh, off of Appa and we have more and more soldiers flooding to them. And we basically see these three people take on an army and more than hold their own. Uh, Katara has this like massive water whip that she's just kind of going side by side, taking out the people on their left and their right. And Ang and Katara or Ang and Toph are dealing with everybody coming from the front. And it's like these three people have the power to hold off this major army, which makes me think about the idea of if they were to go face the fire nation, it's like, well, how many soldiers do they need? <laughs> Cause they're basically walking into presumably the most protected place in the earth kingdom and nothing seems to stop them. Right. And uh, it also makes me think too, man, we've talked a lot about like the gang splitting up, right? And that's like going to be a theme in this episode. And right now they're together and working so fluidly that it, it makes me think like the final battle could go two ways, right? Like I feel like the final battle at the end of season three has either got to be them all working together or them all working separately. And I don't know which, I don't know which is better <laughs> at this point. Don't you think? Absolutely. No, I, I think you're a hundred percent right. Because when you talk about them working together, they almost seem like they are one being like, if you think about them moving forward towards the palace uh, I mean, they're not talking, they're not even looking at each other and they're just, they just like know what to do. They know how to use their, um, how to use their powers together. Another funny runner throughout this scene is that um, as Katara is whipping these folks on the left and right, she keeps apologizing to them because, because it's like, well, we're actually on your side. Like, like, like we're on the side of the earth nation or earth kingdom. You just don't realize it. Like we're not here we're not here to attack the king or to kill the king. We're here because we're on the side of the king. Yes. But it just shows how messed up the kind of politics of this situation is. It also feels very Minnesotan of her to like attack and then be like, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but also I'm still going to do it. So as they approach the, the palace stairs, we see the, these Daily soldiers up on the, so there's this huge, huge staircase outside of the palace and we see these Daily soldiers lift and throw what looks like these 50-foot-high stone statues uh, at the Aang gang. Uh, and we see Aang earthbend the stones uh, in the path to kind of make like an igloo, which I kind of liked because it reminds me of episode one of the show when we go to Katara and, and Sokka's village, right? And, and this is what their houses look like. And he makes this out of stones to kind of protect them. And again, it's like a reaction. It's like, this thing is happening. What do we do? Um, oh, I love that. I never thought about that. Like, I mean, you could, you could really go deep into that as like a metaphor, but super interesting. I never saw like the igloo shape. I like that. Uh, and, and we see that, at this point, after they block those statues, Katara charges to the front uh, and creates like an ice water bridge across this moat. And then she hits the ground and it's like Toph and Aang had been at the forefront of this battle, but now Katara sort of takes over and we see that she also has the ability to just take out everyone around them with this like kind of massive water whip 
Uh, it's just so, and then she throws them into, throws the soldiers into the moat and then freezes the moat. It's super cool too, because you think about how they all had this ability the whole time. And it's just like sitting under the surface for weeks while they were there. And the only thing that's really preventing them from getting to the King the way that they could very easily is like decorum and rules and like the things that bossing say stands for. And now they just don't care anymore. Like they're like, we're not here for the rules. We're not here for the decorum. We're getting to the King the way that we know how to, and the way that we can. Well, and it points to something Ang said in that first scene, which is now that we have Appa there, like Appa was the key to them playing ball. Right. I mean, that's what a hostage is, right. Is like, well, as long as they have this thing that we, that's important to us and that we care about, we kind of have to follow your rules. Now that we have Appa, your rules don't matter to us. Um, and we're going to do what we what we need to do. So uh, we see more Dai Li stream out of the palace above uh, you know, this massive staircase. And they start to fire boulders down at the team. And then Toph, now this is her turn to do something super cool. It's like she earth bends this huge stone staircase to turn it into basically like a ramp. You know, so so like it it flattens it out so that the soldiers start to kind of slip down that, and then uh, Toph and Ang create like an an elevator kind of thing to, or escalator maybe to like s- pull them up this ramp. And as they're going through, we see now Sokka is apologizing to the uh, to the uh, the the Dai Li saying, "Seriously, we're actually on your guys' side." <laughs> and then when they get to the top, we see. Toph again just kind of earthbend the Daili aside and they run into the palace and we see Toph earthbend these pillars of stone from the ground and and crush these Daili soldiers up against the ceiling which brings me back to things we talked about at the end of last episode like I'm pretty sure there's people dying at this point that this doesn't look like because sometimes it feels like oh we're just sweeping people aside but when she brings those pillars up it they're crushed against the ceiling and that's human bodies rock on rock. Gruesome. Yeah. Yeah. It is also interesting because it shows how powerful uh, Toph is and Toph and Aang are that the Dai Li are powerful earthbenders, but it, it's like they're absolutely no match. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's... Um, I think you only see how powerful someone is when you look at them relative to somebody else. Yes. And they really stand out. Yeah. Someone who's meant to be great. Right. And then you see that they exceed by all always. So as this is going on, we then have Sokka running through the palace, opening doors, looking for the earth King. So it's just this runner of him, like opening doors and nobody's in there. He opens one door and there's a woman in there who screams burglar, you know? And it's, so it's this, this moment of like, now they've made it in, but they realize, well, we actually don't know where the King is. We just know he's somewhere in this massive building. From there, we cut to uh, a scene in Iroh and Zuko's apartment. And we see that they're returning from Lake Laogai. Um, and Iroh says, you did the right thing, letting the Avatar's bison go free. And Zuko says, I don't feel right, which has kind of a double meaning. We'll realize like he, he maybe doesn't feel right about his choice, but also he doesn't feel right. We, and we're going to realize that he's sick. And at this point, we see like a dizzy Zuko kind of collapse, fall to the floor, and we see Iroh rush to him. So this is a pretty short little scene, but it's setting up kind of the B plot of this episode. We're going to 
cut between what's happening with Zuko and Iroh and what's happening with uh, the Aang gang and the Earth King. So now we're back at the palace and we see the gang are standing on a pile of rubble that they created and they're still looking for the Earth King. And all of a sudden, Sokka sees a hallway with huge doors. I don't know. They look like they're 50 feet high. Like the scale in this palace is is unbelievable, right? Yes. For how few people are actually in the palace. <laughs> so it's right. really ornate. Right. Well, and it makes me think of um, Long Fang when he first talks about the Earth King. He says, no, no, the Earth, the, the king is a god to his people. And it's like, oh, this, it kind of reminds me of like, gothic cathedrals right and like how do you create a space that you could imagine god living in you know and and this has some of that scope and scale to it so Sokka tries to push these doors open obviously to no avail and then we see ang run up behind him and air bends the doors open and Sokka's kind of blown into the room and the doors are blown off their hinges so we see the gang run into the king's throne room and they're there and they're prepared for a fight so they all have their um, you know, either Sokka has his weapons and everybody else is like prepared to bend. Katara has her water out. Toph has a, uh, a rock and Aang has his staff and the earth King is sitting on his throne. And we see that he's kind of a, like a nerdy guy with glasses and long Fang is at his side and a group of Dai Li rush in between the King and our heroes. So there's sort of this standoff moment. And Aang says, we need to talk to you. And Long Fang says to the king, they're here to overthrow you. So he's, it's like he's whispering into the ears of the king. And this... Sorry, go ahead. This dynamic reminds me of um, in the two towers, right? Where we have the, uh, the king of Rohan and we have uh, Wormtongue who's there like whispering into his ears and functionally serving as the king. You know, we have, and we have Aragorn trying to like convince the king he needs to act he needs to do something so we have that kind of dynamic at play here that was exactly what i was gonna say <laughs> oh sorry 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 I, I i jumped on that i should have i should have let you make the nerdy lord of the rings reference um, rude uh, you know what i don't know any of the names so i'm glad you said it because it would have been me stumbling around to try to explain people based on their appearance this is way better <laughs> so Sokka says no we're on your side we're here to help and Katara says, you have to trust us. The king says, you invade my palace. You lay, lay waste to all my guards, break down my fancy door, and you expect me to trust you? If you're on my side, then drop your weapons and stand down. And Toph points out, he makes a good point. Like, <laughs> if we're on his side, why have we just invaded him, basically? Um, and it's because he doesn't know the things that they know. So they all drop their weapons. And we see the Dai Li then shoot kind of rock, their rock hands at them, which become these sort of stone handcuffs, which made me wonder how effective are stone handcuffs against earthbenders? Like, can you really, can you really hold Toph and Aang in, in bondage in stone if they're earthbenders? Right. And like, are they just letting those handcuffs stay on them to like be polite? (laughs) It does seem kind of futile. I mean, like, with Sokka and Katara, or even Katara could maybe somehow get out with bending. Like against a bender, it seems like it's not going to work. Right, right. But especially against an earthbender, because that's their that's their material. Um, Longfang tells the Dai Li to de- detain uh, 
our heroes and soccer protests, but we dropped our weapons. We're your allies. Long Fang says, make sure the avatar and his friends never see daylight again. And it's interesting because this is a moment where, where Long Fang slips up because he refers to Aang as the avatar. And at the word avatar, the king kind of perks up. And at first he thinks Sokka is the avatar because Sokka is the one doing the talking. But then it's sort of the camera kind of pans over to Aang uh, and we see Aang, to our earlier point, release himself from the handcuffs and sort of wave at the king and then put his hands behind his back and, and, and close the cuffs again. So it's it's sort of like they are, again, they're following the rules. Uh, you know, it's like, sure, if you want to handcuff us, sure. Yeah. And after like all of the brutal battle at the start of the episode, for the rest of the episode, the Aang gang's pretty charming. Like even that little let me wave at you, but I'll go back into my like shackles afterwards. They're really like, they're endearing and charming. Um, maybe to make up for some of the damage from earlier. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, that's a way to win the earth King over. Uh, so long Fangs asked though, like, well, why does it matter? Your highness, they're enemies of the state. And then we see the earth Kings bear walk up and recognize Ang from the party. And he starts to kind of lick Ang. Uh, and the Earth King says, though Bosco seems to like him, I'll hear what he has to say. So we learn that the Earth King's bear's name is Bosco and that the relationship that Aang founded with Bosco is actually really paying off here. So this has to warm your heart as an animal lover, right? It makes me so happy. It's also great that the bear's name is Bosco. Like, I could not come up with a better name for him. And uh, truly, though, if my pets don't like someone, I trust their instincts. So um, I- I'm with the king on this. So it- it's great because uh, we see that Long Fang is kind of angry at being overruled uh, by the king and and by really by the king's bear. <laughs> um, so Ang says, "Well, sir, there's a war going on right now. For the past 100 years, in fact, the Dai Li's kept it secret from you." It's a conspiracy to control the city and to control you. And both the king and Long Fang announced that this is crazy. And Ang says, Long Fang didn't want us to tell you. So he stole our sky bison to blackmail us. And blackmail is the least of his crimes. He brainwashed our friend. Long Fang says, all lies. I've never even seen a sky bison, your majesty. Frankly, I thought they were extinct. And the king wants proof. And Long Fang says, these hooligans are part of an anarchist cell that my agents have been tracking for weeks. If you listen to them, you're playing right into your own destruction. And the king says, I have to trust my advisor. So we see the Dai Li start to take the gang away. Now, what's interesting about this is they've used the word conspiracy. Uh, And what the back half of this season has been deeply about is about sort of conspiracy and paranoia. We see this with Jet. We see this with the Dai Li. And one of the interesting things about a conspiracy is that they're almost impossible to prove, right? Because even the fact that it gets disproven, you can spin that back into say, well, see, that's actually the proof, right? In the same way, when someone is paranoid, it's impossible to rationally explain to them that they shouldn't be worried because that just feeds into the worry. So this is going to become a theme uh, going throughout this episode. So as the gang is getting led away, we see Sokka pipe up and say, wait, I can prove he's lying. 
Long Fang says he's never seen a sky bison. Ask him to lift his robe, <laughs> which was sort of a funny moment. Uh, and Long Fang refuses to, in his words, disrobe as if what, uh, you know, as, as if he doesn't know what, uh, what Sokka is up to. And we see Aang blow a breeze that lifts up Long Fang's robe, revealing a scar on his leg where Appa bit him at Lake Laogai. And Long Fang says that happens to be a large birthmark. Thanks for showing everyone as if it's this like thing that he's been embarrassed about since he was a little kid. Um, and the king says, well, I suppose there's no way to prove where those marks came from. And then they, we see the gang bring in Appa and show him the, that the mark matches Appa's teeth. And it's, a, it's, it's funny how quickly the king is sort of won over by this. He's like, yep, that pretty much proves it. And the, and the gang gets really excited because it's like, finally, we prove something. Then he says, but it doesn't prove the crazy conspiracy theory. And then they're kind of downhearted. And he says, uh, though, I suppose it's a matter worth looking into. And then we get sort of a half-hearted. It's like, ah, I guess we'll accept that. Yeah, we can, we can go with that. <laughs> it's so funny. This, the last like minute of this scene is great between their reactions to the king and then Aang trying to show like, oh, Appa's tooth, see it matches and his cheesy grin. It just feels like goofy Avatar again, like almost like season one Avatar. Well, it's interesting you say that. Do you know who wrote the Earth King? No. This is a John O'Brien episode. Uh-huh. So, so the, known. yeah, so there, this definitely has some great sort of funny moments in it so it i had the same thought i was like oh, i kind of like i kind of like the jokes here i kind of like this vibe and then when i got to the end of the episode i was like of course i did because because john o'brien wrote this one um so then we go from this scene we cut back to the apartment and we see zuko in bed tossing and turning with an intense fever and we see iroh tending to him iroh gives zuko a drink of water from a ladle and he and Zuko drinks it. Then he grabs the whole bucket and drinks that. So it's this short little scene, but it's pointing us towards Zuko having this str- health struggle. But we're going to see that this is also a deeper internal struggle as well. So we cut from that to a train moving through the city. And we get close-ups of passengers on the train staring at something in shock. And then we see the, uh, a wider shot of inside the train and we see the Earth King and his entire retinue standing at the center of the train car while everyone kind of gawks at them. And he explains that he's never been on a train or outside of the upper ring or even outside of the palace. And he asks where they're going. And he looks out the window and he sees Appa and Aang and Momo flying and is in amaze. And he's like, that's the way to travel. So, so he's like... And why wouldn't you be impressed by a sky bison? There's one of these left in the world, right? So, um, so, so he's impressed by that. So he asks again where they're going. Uh, and the gang explains they're going underneath Lake Laogai uh, to the Dai Li's secret headquarters. You are about to see where all the brainwashing and conspiring took place. So they're laying out, let us just show you everything. Mm-hmm. Now, from here, we cut to the shores of Lake Laogai, and we see Toph raise up the little area where the, the entrance was, where the tunnel was into the underground headquarters. But when she does it, she only brings up broken rocks. 
and we see Sokka distraught. Remember, this is positive Sokka. He says, oh, don't tell me. That's okay. I've still got my positive attitude. So he's like, he's deeply disappointed, but he's reminding himself his identity is that he's going to be positive about all of this. And Katara says, well, the Daily must have known we were coming and destroyed the evidence. To which the king says, hmm, that seems awfully convenient. Which again goes back to that conspiracy thing of like, you know, uh, yeah, how, how convenient is it that whenever you're trying to prove something, you just point to, okay, well, the Daily must have done this. And then Sokka says, hey, if anything, this proves the conspiracy even more. So Sokka is also playing into this logic. It's like, well, the fact that they did this that should prove it to you, not disprove it. Um, so, so there's there's all of this kind of weird circular conspiracy logic uh, going on here. And the king says, Long Fang was right. This was a waste of time. If you excuse me, I'm going back to the palace. And as they start to walk away, Katara remembers the drill attack on the wall and how there'd be no way to hide that so quickly. So Aang sort of flies up and, and gets in front of the king and says, if you come with us to the outer wall, we can prove to you that the secret war is real. To which the king says, no earth king has ever been to the outer wall. I don't want any, I don't have any more time for this nonsense. And Sokka pipes up and says, if you come with us, this time you can ride on Appa. So Sokka was paying attention to how the earth king was kind of amazed by the idea of flying on a sky bison. Now, what did you think about this idea that no Earth King has ever been to the Outer Wall? Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, that's something they could have easily told this guy. Like, this guy was, like, presumably born and raised in this palace. Like, he's never really left. And right, so, that's what he says. Right, so, like, every part, everything that he knows, he, you kind of got to question all of it, right? So, like, once you question part of it, like the Dai Li then all of it kind of seems suspect. And so that could be untrue, right? Like there might've been earth Kings that have gone to the outer wall, but it's also equally plausible that it is true because this is such a segmented world where to go to the outer wall might feel um, like something someone inferior to you would do as the King. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <clears throat> and it, it makes me wonder how long has the Dai Li existed? You know, <clears throat> cause in my head, I, I guess I was thinking like, well, maybe this is something that this is this power play by Long Feng, but this could have existed for generations, for centuries. I, mean, I presume the city of Ba Sing Se is very old. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea that this is the capital of the of the Earth Kingdom, and this is where the Earth King lives, so it, it could be for generations the Dai Li have kept the Earth King from the outer wall. So, so it may feel like no Earth King has ever done that. You know, I presume I this this is one where I would love the history, right? I would love to know like when when was Ba Sing Se created? Why is it the capital? What are what's the history of? all of the walls where the walls slowly built over time to segment more and more. Yeah, definitely. I would love to read a history book on this truly. And also though, part of me was like, okay, King, like probably if no King has ever been to the outer wall, probably no King has also been on like an everyday train with people. You know what I'm saying? Like he's already breaking all of these boundaries. So like, what's one more. So I'm glad right. that he was, I mean, Appa was like the selling point for him. 
Well, it is interesting how amenable he is to persuasion, mm-hmm. you know, which is why the Dai Li could control him, why Long Fang could control him. But it's like the the Ang Gang is using that to their advantage as well. It's like this guy isn't used to making decisions for himself. He's used to having somebody basically tell him, here's the decision you should make. So he seems like he's uh, not that difficult to sway, which could be a good thing. But in the wrong hands, it can be the worst thing. I mean, maybe that's why the the Aang gang is really throwing on the charm. Like as soon as they meet him, they realize he's gullible. And they also realize like, look, we came in with like a show of hard power. Now we have to move to more of a soft power of like negotiation. And um, and that's like the way to win him over. Absolutely. So we cut from here to all of them riding on Appa. And remember, the saddle's not there. So uh, we see the king and everybody else, again, holding on for dear life. And he says it's both exhilarating and terrifying. It actually makes me feel good for the Earth King to be like, he's. this might be the first time that he's actually like living life, that he's not being protected, you know, and, and to use Toph's words, you know, being handled. Yes. I. This is another spinoff I really want. Is the Earth King just like exploring and like a travel show with the oh, Earth King yeah. to be like... He's never experienced like truly culture because everything that he has lived in, like he hasn't even experienced Earth Kingdom culture. He's just, it's like this preordained strange structure within a palace. That's what I want. Like travels with, with the Earth King. Yeah. Who would be the co-host? Because you couldn't, the, the, the Earth King would be a pretty poor host on his own. Who would, yeah. be the, who would be his tour guide through the cultures of the Avatar world? I'm, and you can't say Iroh because Iroh can't host every show. Right, I know. Because that would be um, the best answer. <laughs> I was thinking the professor, if he wasn't like locked up, you know, but but he would have so much knowledge about everything oh, that they're seeing. We but could I get think, him. We could get him out of the library for that. I like that idea. Although I think the two of them together would just be the worst travelers. Like I feel like they would just get caught in places. They would not like logistically. They could not get around really well. Like he would need somebody who's smooth, almost like a Sokka. Maybe Sokka. <laughs> How about Jet? Oh yeah, that could be good. Plus, you'd have the tension of like high status, low status. Yeah, but, like and may- cool guy, nerd guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe they could. Maybe they could spin that into like. Uh, you know, like 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 a kind of witty banter and sort of playful competition between them. Yeah, I think Jet and the Earth King travel <laughs> show through the Avatar world is great. I want this so bad. <laughs> All right, uh, patent pending on that, trademark on that. If if <laughs> if uh, Avatar Studios wants to make this, like, just cut us in on it because that's actually yeah. an awesome idea. Call us up. That's right. Uh, So from here, we cut back to the apartment where we see Zuko. He continues to toss and turn as he's dealing with this fever. This was a really well done scene. Whenever we're seeing him uh, sort of struggling with the fever in bed, they very quickly perfectly capture that feeling of, I don't remember the, I don't know the last time you've been like really sick with a fever, but when I get like that, like it's like a whole day that I'm just in bed and I'm, kind of asleep and kind of awake and you're just sweating and trying to like, like they capture that instantly. They don't spend a lot of time on it, but I, but like I'm instantly there. Oh, for sure. And every scene we get of him, even if it's brief, you're getting deeper and deeper into the illness, right? Like just dizziness, then 
exhaustion, dehydration. And now we have kind of, I don't know if hallucinating is the right word, but we have him kind of in like a dreamlike state. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have this, we see this sort of fever dream that he has. So we see a scarless Zuko seated on the throne of the Fire Lord. So he has long hair and he's wearing the Fire Lord's crown. And there's a group of Fire Nation soldiers seated before him. And we see two dragons slowly fly up around him and kind of like um, wrap themselves around these columns by his throne. One of them is red and the other one's blue. Uh, The blue dragon begins to speak to him and we realize the blue dragon is speaking with Azula's voice. Uh, And we hear her say, it's getting late. Are you planning to retire soon, my lord? And Zuko says, I'm not tired. And the blue dragon says, relax, fire lord Zuko. Just let go. Give into it. Shut your eyes for a while. And then we hear the red dragon speak. And at this point, it's like they're both sitting on his his shoulders, right? Mm. The red dragon speaks in Iroh's voice and says, no, fire lord Zuko. Do not listen to the blue dragon. You should get out of here now go before it's too late. And it's that sort of commanding go that we hear from Iroh, you know, very infrequently does he give like a direct command. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> when I saw the face of the blue dragon, it made me think of the blue spirit as well. As if like, this is, if, if we're thinking of Zuko wrestling with identity, right? This is part of his identity. The, the, the face of the blue dragon and the face of the blue spirit were somewhat similar. Oh yeah, that's that's got to be intentional. That's really good. <laughs> that's really really good. I don't know what to make of that, but it's interesting well, to me. I mean, like, yeah, it, this dream. I feel like it could be interpreted so many ways, like a real dream is, right? <laughs> but it it seems like Azula, as kind of like the the bad angel or whatever on his shoulder, is telling him like, go back to who you were, right? And like go back to that identity of the past of, of yourself in the past. And then you have Iroh and the other ear saying, no, that's like, that will only lead to pain and destruction. Don't, don't fall into that again. And so like for her to mirror the blue spirit feels really, um, it's, it's a really good idea. I love that. And it's the identity that he literally threw away at the end of last episode. So for, yes. if we're thinking about his narrative arc, that's the last active thing we saw him do before he got sick was to throw that away. She also seems to be also voicing like you should just give in to this disease. That's, mm. that's attacking you, right? There is this sense because you sometimes I'll use I statements, not you statements. I sometimes feel when I'm really sick, like just, I should just die. Like, right. Like I don't, I'm never going to be better. Like, what if this is just it? And it's, it's almost like there's that voice as well. And like the voice of Iroh is trying to pull him out of it. Yeah. And, and yeah. And Iroh will talk to him a little bit later about how this all really has to do with his identity. Uh, and he's like at war with himself. Um, so I think that that, Man, I feel like we have to come back to this quote later when we talk about what Iroh says next, just because I think it it coincides so well with with uh, what he's saying against what Azula wants. Absolutely, because because Iroh is going to process this whole thing with with, uh, with Zuko. So the blue dragon then says, "Sleep now, Fire Lord Zuko," and we see the dragons 
the dragons sort of fade into the black and then the room around Zuko fades and the stone columns crumble and fall and the soldiers collapse into nothing. And so now we just see Zuko kind of in just blackness around him. And we see Zuko staring at the glowing eyes of the blue dragon and it says sleep just like mother. And then the dragon kind of lunges at Zuko from here. We see Zuko's mother screaming and she screams, Zuko help me. Uh, and we see fire Lord Zuko's reflection in her eyes. And we cut to Zuko surrounded by total blackness. And he's like on a rug and he's getting pulled into the rug and everything goes black. And then we cut back to Zuko in bed in the apartment and he's still just sweating out this fever, right? So we get this image of this fever dream. As you say, we're going to process this a little bit more, but this, it reminds me of parts of Zuko alone because it's the last time we saw Zuko's mother. It feels like, okay, are we maybe learning a little bit more? What is the significance of Azula saying sleep just like mother? Yeah. And that, any discussion of his mother is a discussion of his identity too. And uh, like, it seems as though Azula is trying to say, if your if your identity isn't wrapped up in, the, in me as like the blue spirit or the blue dragon, if it's not wrapped up in your position as a fire Lord, is it worth even continuing? Right? Like it's super dark. It's really sad. Right. So from here, we cut to our gang now approaching the wall. So they're flying on Appa and Aang points out that the remnants of the drill are still there. They've been kind of fenced in by stone walls, but you can still see the drill there. And the king asks what it is. And Sokka says a giant drill made by the fire nation to break through your walls. And we see the king shocked because again, he's amenable to being, um, proven something right he's he's opened that he hasn't bought into the conspiracy so much he needs he would need long fang there to explain it um so now we see them standing on the wall looking down at the drill and the king says i can't believe i never knew and all of a sudden we see long fang approach on kind of like a stone elevator kind of up out of the floor and he says i can explain this your majesty this is nothing more than a construction project so now he's it's it's great because you see Long Fang like a little bit more desperate in this scene, trying to like, okay, how do I explain this? Katara says, really? Then perhaps you can explain why there's a Fire Nation insignia on your construction project. And Long Fang says, well, it's imported, of course. You know, you can't trust domestic machinery. Surely you don't believe these children instead of your most loyal attendant. And the king kind of looks at him and says, Dai Li, arrest Long Fang. I want him to stand trial for crimes against the Earth Kingdom. And at this point, we see the two Dai Li soldiers that are on either side of Long Fang. And they kind of look at each other like almost side-eyed, like, is this really happening? And then eventually they throw metal cuffs on him, um, which is interesting because these aren't the stone cuffs that they were using before, but this is the kind of thing that an earthbender wouldn't be able to break out of. Yeah, like, is this saved for only people who did crimes against Theris Kingdom? Like, why didn't they use them before? But maybe it's, like, the ultimate (laughs) punishment. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe they didn't realize how powerful Toph and Aang were, but Toph and Aang just blew through their whole... basically took out the entire Dai Li, so they would know that. It's very very interesting that they didn't utilize these before. Mm Mm-hmm. And Long Fang says, you can't arrest me. Uh, 
You all need me more than you know. And Sokka says, it looks like Long Fang is long gone. And he kind of laughs and says, I've been waiting to use that one. He like wipes a tear from his eye as he's laughing at this terrible joke. Now, one of the things that I that, that's interesting about the you can't arrest me, you need me more than you know, uh, it this is a, a stretch, but it reminds me of, have you seen the movie A Few Good Men? It's an old Aaron no, Sorkin movie from. Haven't. It's great, and it's a it's a courtroom drama. But I mean, you've probably heard the famous like Jack Nicholson speech about like you, know, you can't handle the truth. Now before that mm-hmm. though, he's talking. I mean, his whole idea is like you might not like what I am, but you need me on that wall. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. And there is a little bit of that in Long Fang saying like like I have built all of this. And you need me. Like, if you get rid of me, it's not like you can just all of the sudden turn things in a different direction. There's, there, you know, there's, there's so much important. So, I, I think he's not wrong too, because from what you've seen of the Earth King so far, do you think he's ready to rule the, the, no. you know, this, the, the Earth Kingdom, this massive city? Like, there's a, there is no structure in place for him to, to take over actually ruling. Yeah, it it, um, <laughs> it reminds me, this is also a stretch and a weird one, uh, but of Hamilton, <laughs> the musical, <laughs> or, you know, just, I guess, American history, uh, but, but Hamilton for me, um, of when there's this song after the revolution is successful, after, um, you know, like America has begun, and the king sings it, and he's basically saying, now what he's like he's like laughing it off almost saying like okay you think you can do this on your own well you really like i I would love to see a try and that's totally what this feels like it's like now you have to work everything from the ground up if you don't have the daily uh and long thing behind it controlling everything yeah and it, it actually it speaks to uh it speaks to one of the issues with revolutions i mean and actually i think your hamilton point is the right one which is you know that that is one of the things that i think is a moment we don't tend to think a lot about. We tend to jump from the revolutionary war to the constitution. And it's like, actually there's like, there's like a long, uh, a long gap there. There's a, a, a false start with the articles of confederation. There's, you know, there's and and, and revel and, and you also have things like the French revolution, right? Who, mm-hmm. you know, where they, they have this revolution and they topple power, but then they turn in on it on themselves. Right. And so, I think you're right. There's so much loaded in this moment. Uh, and I don't know how much we're going to see of the earth kingdom trying to rebuild itself. Uh, it's another, it's not a show I want to watch. I would watch like a Ken Burns style documentary about how does the, how does the earth kingdom like deal with the collapse of the Daily? Okay. Can Iroh narrate that? I that's feel pr- like that's pretty good actually yeah he would be a great one yeah um i would definitely watch that that's another another spinoff that they just need to contact us right yeah yeah, uh, yeah. seriously like a like a maybe like a six-part documentary yes. yeah and like really yes because like uh for me especially like i am I am empathetic to like the people's power and I romanticize revolution, but you need Ken Burns in there to be like, okay, now there's layers. Right. And like, let's look at the nuance here. It was a scramble after the earth King got his power back or whatever. <laughs> He'd yeah, be so yeah. good. 
Oh, maybe okay. Maybe actually, it's a ten-part documentary, Ken Burns documentary series that is telling the longer history of Bossing Say. So that's so the the revolution's just a chapter in it. The the siege of Bossing Say is a chapter in it. The rise and fall of the Dai Li is a. Ch- oh, I would totally watch this. Oh, me too. And then they could have talking heads of Iroh. Like mm-hmm. he can't narrate he, then. <laughs> yeah, I know. If he, can, I mean, we probably can't make Iroh do all of this stuff. Maybe Zhang Zhang could could narrate oh, it. Oh, that'd be real good. Yep. Yeah, because I like his then, I like his voice, and he's not like related. To, I don't think he's related to that story. Yes, and then um, they could read the letters that Iroh wrote back to like his family with the gifts. Oh man, this is so good. I'm so happy. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to our story. Uh, it is now nighttime. And we're in the Earth King's throne room. We have Aang, Katara, Sokka, Toph, and they're all standing before the king. And the king has Bosco at his feet, and Momo is sort of climbing on Bosco. And the king says, I want to thank you, young heroes, for opening my eyes. All this time, what I thought was a great metropolis was merely a city of fools. And that makes me the king fool. We're at war with the Fire Nation. Sokka says, that's why we came to Bossing Say, your highness, because we think you can help us end the war. Ang says, we don't have much time. There's a comet coming this summer. Its energy will give the firebenders unbelievable strength. They'll be unstoppable. And Sokka says, but there's hope. Before the comet comes, we have a window of opportunity. A solar eclipse is coming. The sun will be completely blocked out by the moon and the firebenders will be helpless. That's the day we need to invade the fire nation. The day of the black sun. I've never heard that phrase used in avatar. And all of a sudden, like he has a name for it. The day of the black sun, which is, I like that's good branding by Sokka. Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. the King says, I don't know. That would require moving troops out of bossing. Say we'd be completely vulnerable. And Sokka says, I just feel like that's a really good point, right? Like, and and this took the king having a lot of evidence to to change his opinion. How do you also mobilize a military that didn't know that this threat even existed? Like, that seems like a <laughs> a nightmare, doesn't it? Like, you need to have. I feel like in any in any time you're trying to mobilize an army, you have to have like a goal, like some kind of like just end to it right and it's like this is this is a conspiracy like they could think he's a mad king you know like he's gone insane right and it makes me wonder about some of the structures here though because is is he's the earth king he's the king of bossing say is he the is he like the king over other kings like this boomy answer to the earth king oh i mean boomy answers to no one kind of but in terms of the, is this a hierarchy where he is really the earth king yeah. or does he just rule the city? Because there, there are elements of the earth kingdom army that are actively fighting the war. Think about like general Fong that we saw in the avatar state episode. Like they're, they're actually actively thinking about this. So like, are they asking them just to mobilize the the Earth Kingdom army in Bossing Say or the broader Earth Kingdom army? Does the is the king even aware that there is a broader Earth Kingdom army? Because if he 
was, then wouldn't he be wondering what they're up to? So I think there's elements of the Earth Kingdom army who are very aware of the war. Some of them are fighting the war. But how much force is located within Bossing say? Uh, yeah, like yeah. So so that that's kind of interesting, but I do think it's um Sokka makes a point here, you know, when the Earth King says, you know, will the city will be left vulnerable and Sokka says, you're already vulnerable. The Fire Nation won't stop until Bossing say falls. You can either sit ba- sit back and wait for that to happen or you can take the offensive and give yourself a fighting chance. And, you know, I think about things like the drill. I mean, this king just saw that the Fire Nation had a tool that could take out the one thing that really protects them. You can talk as much as you want about the the army being the thing that's protecting Ba Sing Se, but it's the, it's the walls that protect Ba Sing Se. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Yeah, you know, so so I think Sokka makes a good point here in terms of you know, this is this might be their only opportunity. Because I think if you if you wait until Sozin's comet comes and then the Fire Nation attacks Ba Sing Se, there could be trouble. Right. Plus, I wanna point out again, in the Northern Air Temple, there's that shot of that balloon, right? Air power is something that I think the Fire Nation has. So that may actually even propel them further to say, we're not as safe here as we thought. Yes, they are technologically behind, for sure. But the king eventually goes along with what, what Sokka is talking about. He says, very well, you have my support, right? So they, they win the king over. Again, he's very amenable to being um, convinced of things. So at this point, we see an Earth Army officer come in with a message for the king. The king says, this is General Howe. He's the leader of the Council of Five, my highest ranking generals. Howe says, we searched Long Fang's office, and I think we found something that will interest everybody. So I'm really interested in this uh, Council of Five, because clearly the Earth King knows who the Council of Five are. Mm. Were the Council of Five also in con- uh, controlled by Long Fang and the Dai Li? Because they seem, I mean, are, are they fighting the war and they're just not making the king aware of it? Are they a separate group? Um, I, I want to see an org chart for the, uh, for the, for bossing say. Me too. Uh, this also made me really excited because it felt like they did kind of unlock like more items. <laughs> and we always talk about how this is a little bit like a video game. It felt like Maybe it wasn't a boss, but it was like they they figured out a puzzle and now they get these like items that they weren't able to get before. Oh, I, I'm with you 100 percent. I was so excited by like, oh, we get to we get something now. And, you know, he and they actually bring in this like treasure chest kind of thing. So the officer brings in this chest and how says uh, there are secret files on everyone in bossing say, including you kids. And the king opens the chest and takes out a, a scroll for Toph. Katara reads it, and she says, it's a letter from your mom. Your mom's here in the city, and she wants to see you. And we see we see Toph's face kind of soften at this. You know, mm-hmm. um, It's interesting because Toph is this person with this hard exterior, this rock exterior, right? But... Um, we have to remember she's, she still is a child. And um, as much as she pushes away from her 
from her parents and their control. I was, this was like kind of this heartwarming moment where, yeah. where, where it seems like, Oh, she actually cares that her mother cares. Yes. I mean, like, as we've said in this season, mothers are so important and they uh, like having them on your side is important. So I, yeah, I was also like, Oh, tough. <laughs> That's so sweet. And then we see the King hand a scroll to Aang that, and he says it was tied to Appa's horn. So we know a little bit about this scroll. Uh, so Aang is excited to see that it's from the Eastern Air Temple. Uh, then the Katara asks if there's anything for them, and the king tells Sokka and Katara that there's no letter for them, but Hal mentions a piece of intelligence that they might be interested in, and he hands it to Katara. So she starts to read this, and it says, a small fleet of water tribe ships protecting the mouth of Chameleon Bay, led by Hakoda, and and both Katara and Sokka light up because that's their father. So they now have intelligence to exactly where their father is. I so there's. So exci- I was so excited because we only saw the the glimpse of like a, a water tribe ship, right? Like, oh man, a couple episodes ago. Yeah, it's in Appa's Lost Days. Yeah. Yes, and then. Ever since then, like they planted that seed, what, three, four episodes ago? And ever since every episode, I'm like, when, when is Hakoda coming? He's got to be here soon. And now it's finally feeling like it's happening. So as you know, we know where this is headed to a degree, but as this was happening and you were watching this with the freshest eyes you could have, were you concerned about the fact of how convenient it was that all of these all of our heroes got like, I mean, this is, it almost feels like the wizard of Oz where the wizard is just handing out, here's the exact thing that you want. Um, were you, yeah. I mean, were you, you, yeah. I, um, I have watched this before, but I have forgotten so many details, especially season two. Um, even though it's like my favorite season. So I didn't remember how all of this pans out at the end of the episode, but I think there was still a part of me that was like, "Mm, yeah, a little too convenient. Like Toph's mom is soft now. I thought they had like a a ransom on her. (laughs) Like they were trying to get her with bounty hunters. And like, it just felt like some things were not adding up. Yeah. And in the fact that they had something for everyone felt a little Mm -hmm. bit like this smells like long fang to me. Like, you know, I, I, I smelled a rat right away with this. So we cut back to the uh, Iroh Zuko apartment. And we see Iroh is serving tea to Zuko. And he says, you should know that this is not a natural sickness. But that shouldn't stop you from enjoying tea. I think that if Iroh was a major, he would be a nursing major. Don't you oh, think? interesting. Actually, he could be, I mean, he could, he could probably be any of the majors, truly. Maybe philosophy would probably <laughs> be a good one for him. To, maybe like a nursing and philosophy double major. Definitely in this episode, he is. He's definitely right? nursing and, and nurturing. Um, yeah. But I think in general, all of the other things that he does, he seems, uh, that's not, that wouldn't be my first choice. But clearly he could have made it. Maybe he would have taken a nursing class and like really been like great at it. And the professors are like, you should stay in. But then he was like, no, my heart's with philosophy and TE. So then he didn't. But if I like great guy to be your nurse, right? Calm yeah. presence. The bedside manner is off the charts <laughs> with him. Yeah. So he says that your critical decision, what you did beneath that lake 
It was in such conflict with your image of yourself that you are now at war within your own mind and body. You're going through a metamorphosis, my nephew. It will not be a pleasant experience, but when you come out of it, you will be the beautiful prince that you were always meant to be. Oh, so sweet. (laughs) I think it's really interesting to think about like external choices, like shaping the, the nature of like, like like these internal struggles and, and shaping the nature of who you are, which is, I mean, true, right? That, if you think about like even Aristotelian philosophy and ethics, right? It's this idea that your actions shape who you, who you are, your ap- actions shape your virtue, virtues grow, grow through habit. So when you start to change the way you act, you start to change who you are. Um, but that this plays out as this like uh, existential internal crisis about the nature of his very being is uh, dramatic, but really interesting. Yeah, I also like, I mean, I think I could watch this whole series as like a, man, public service announcement for mental health. But the idea that like, I don't know that it's very present, at least from my upbringing and probably in Western cultures of like, what's happening inside you really impacts your health on the outside. And like, holding into certain emotions or... uh or not um, addressing trauma, like that's gonna come back and, and, and has a physical toll on you. I think that's super interesting. Uh, and something that Avatar talks about quite a bit. I think it's fascinating that we both read this scene correctly, but in different directions. <laughs> that you were talking about like the outside effect or the inside affecting the outside. And I was talking about the outside affecting the inside. And I think it's, I mean, it, that's how it flows, right, in both directions. But I think that's, that's actually really fascinating. And I hadn't thought about this, sh- this show broadly um, as, like, something about mental health. But, like, definitely all these questions about identity are really coming to a head here. And identity is probably at the core of mental health. Like, like, a, like a, uh, a strong sense of self is probably an important piece of mental health. Um, so, and that's definitely what... Zuko's wrestling with and other characters are also wrestling with in lots and lots of ways. And it's interesting how this show gives some different approaches to thinking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I want to reflect on more as we get through the end of this season and into season three is like, what are the, what are the big picture themes that you only notice in relief of the whole, looking at the whole? Where it, or if you just looked at moments, because part of what we're doing here is we're often paying a lot of attention to moments, but it's sometimes hard to see them connect to the bigger things. So I think I think that's an interesting one I want to look back on. Oh, that'd be so fun to do at the end of the season. Yeah. So uh, we cut back to the palace and we see Aang, Momo, Toph, and Katara, and Sokka are all sitting together on the floor reflecting on the letters that they received. So Aang says... Uh, as he's looking at his letters, I can't believe it. There's a man living at the Eastern Air Temple. He says he's a guru, a spiritual uh, expert. He wants to help me take the next step in the Avatar journey. He says he can teach me to control the Avatar state. Katara says, and I can't believe we know where our dad is. And Toph says, I know what you mean. My mom's in the city. 
And from her letter, it sounds like she finally understands me. Here again, it feels like, come on, you all got exactly what you were looking for. Um, have your guard up a little bit more. Yeah. Guitarist, this, guitar, go ahead. This never happens. Like, I was waiting for Sokka to be like, wait a minute. This is not how it ever pans out. But it's positive attitude Sokka, so he's not going to... No, seriously. Like, so it's yeah. not... His guard is not up because he is looking at the positives. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I think Katara is playing the role she normally would, that she is being positive about this. It's tough. That's the one that's like, and maybe she, her guard has been up for so long that there is this kind of relief, you know, yeah. which makes me feel even sadder, you know, for her. Yes. Uh, Katara says, I hate to say it, but we have to split up. And Aang says, we just found Appa and got the family back together. Now you want us to separate? And Katara says, you have to meet this guru, Aang. If we're going to invade the Fire Nation, you need to be ready. And Aang says, well, if I'm going to the Eastern Air Temple, Appa and I can drop you off at Chameleon Bay to see your dad. Katara says, someone has to stay here with the Earth King and help him plan the invade. Excuse me, Sokka says, someone has to stay here uh, with the Earth King and help him plan the uh, invasion. And I guess that's me. And Katara says, no, Sokka, you know how badly, I know how badly you want to see dad. You go to Chameleon Bay. I'll stay here with the king. And Sokka is overjoyed and says that she's the best sister ever. So they, they're like talking about splitting up. And I didn't really think about how like long term this would be. Because the only splitting up they've ever done has been like, an episode or part of an episode but like Toph might just go home like she might just not be in the crew anymore well if we think about what was Toph's role to teach Aang to be an earthbender and we talked about the beginning of this episode you use the word master right like he's probably learned what he can learn from her Um, so so there's the potential for that I also want to say if you go back to season one of Avatar with Academics, I kept talking about there's going to be a point where they have to s- deal with do we separate? There's going to be something that's going to pull them apart. Um, and I didn't know if it would be conflict or what, but we got it. And so when when Katara turns to them and says, we need to split up, I was just like, yep, this is what this is what I was kind of waiting for. Like this, this had narratively, this had to happen. Because if you're going to have this tight-knit group, there has to be moments when there is this split or, or divide, whether it's they have to go off on separate journeys or something something breaks them up. So this reminds me of, um, uh, at the be- towards the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, when Luke has to go uh, find Yoda to train, right? And, and we see everybody else go one way and he goes another way. Aang is literally going to find, we know this old ancient guy who can teach him something no one else can teach him, who's the one living connection to the the power of his people, right? I mean, this is, we thought we saw Yodas before. It's like, oh, we found Yoda now. Like, this, this is, is it. This is it. Um. So then we cut to a scene in front of the Earth Palace steps. We see the Earth King come down and talk to our heroes before they leave. Aang tells Katara that he needs to tell her something. 
you know, this is this, this sort of gut wrenching moment. He struggles to get his feelings out. He's like, I have to say something. He has her attention. And just as he's about to say it, Sokka kind of jumps in and kind of takes over the moment. And is like, let's get ready for our man only man journey. And is like giving him a noogie. And it's just like, Oh, we, we had, we're arrested in this moment where, I mean, it's pretty clear what he was going to say, right? Mm -hmm. That he was going to, because I think this is the kind of thing you say before you split up and don't know where the story heads is like, let me at least take this opportunity to tell you how I feel about you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the king says, Aang and Sokka, I wish you a good journey. Ba Sing Se owes you many thanks. We look forward to your safe return. And at this point, we see a guard rush up with a message for the Earth King. He says, your majesty, there are three female warriors to see you. They're from the island of Kiyoshi. And at this, we see Sokka light up because he knows that it's Suki. He says that the uh, Kiyoshi warriors are a skilled group of fighters and trustworthy too. They're friends of ours. And the king says, then we shall welcome them as our honored guests. And this made me wonder, you know, the last time that we saw Suki, she was fighting with Azula and um, and Tylee and May, the, the, the Kyoshi warriors were. And we actually had this like freeze frame as as Suki and Azula were facing off. And if you watch the previously on, that's the last scene they show before they start this episode, that kind of comic book freeze frame of them fighting. So we're 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 getting this sense that we're going to see Suki again. So the gang says their goodbyes. Uh, Katara gives Aang a big hug and a kiss on the cheek. And then Toph says, I'm really going to miss you guys. And the three share a group hug. And then they see Sokka kind of standing on the outside, both seeming like he doesn't want to be part of this, but he also seems like he does want to be part of this. So they, they rush over and they hug him as well. And then, and then Sokka's like, okay, guys, that's enough. That's enough. And then we see Sokka and Aang and Appa fly off. So here we actually get our separation. And it's weird that Momo didn't go with Aang. Didn't you think that was weird? <clears throat> yeah, although I could see Aang telling Momo to stay with Katara. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I, I thought it was weird, but I also that also makes sense to me. To be like, well, then there's a little piece of us still together, you know? Yeah, true, true. So from here, we cut back to the apartment and we see Zuko wake up from his fever sleep. And he walks across the room into the bathroom. He splashes water onto his face. And when he looks into the mirror, we see that he appears scarless. So he no longer has a scar on his face, bald, and with Aang's airbender tattoos. And with this, he snaps awake in bed. And he feels his face and realizes that the scar is still there. What were your thoughts on this part of the dream? Because like, I didn't think this was the dream at first. And I thought, because um, Iroh had been talking about this metamorphosis. And I was like, oh, is he going to wake up like without the scar? Like, is, it, is that going to be the symbol of this change? Obviously, this is still part of the dream. But what do you make of him seeing himself as Aang in this dream? Yeah, it's... I mean, it's something that we've talked about since season one of like how they mirror the two of them. And man, I don't know. Now I'm thinking about it more in terms of of what Iroh said about metamorphosis and that like the beautiful prince he's supposed to be, should that look kind of like what Aang does? Like keeping balance and 
um, rather than going for his own aims, right? Like being more altruistic. I don't know. I don't know. Super interesting. What did you take away? Well, I do. Th- I thought a lot about Iroh in, I think it's in bitter work um, where Iroh is laying out the different uh, elements and talking about this. And Zuko's like, this is starting to sound like avatar stuff. And Iroh says, well, yeah, this is what the Avatar is about, but it's not only the Avatar who's about this, right? And Iroh actually does, Iroh has Avatar-like qualities to him in terms of kind of learning from other nations. I mean, think about how easily he becomes an Earth Nation person. You know, he's not an Earth bender, but he is at this point a citizen of the Earth Nation, you know, and he's also the Dragon of the West. And he's also learned from waterbenders. So, you know, I think about uh, I think about what Iroh was saying there, and, and I wonder how much of that is in Zuko a little bit of like, is his destiny to be, it's like poles almost, right? Like either I am, my destiny is to be the Fire Lord, which is as Fire Nation as you can be, or it's to be this thing which isn't about identifying as this nation and this power, but to be this thing that exists at the center, mm. you know, which doesn't sound like a pole, but it actually is kind of a pole. I also think it's a really beautiful way to talk about season two for Zuko in general. You have at season one, you have uh, a prince who's banished, but he still um, benefits from the fire nation. He still has uh, his own like ship he still has his own people to train him. And then season two is like, you strip away all of this identity, including cutting off his hair, right? And like, he is taking these actions to step away from his identity and towards a more common person, right? Like we see him living with song and um, like looking like a refugee and actually pretending to be one in Bossing Say. And then to end his metamorphosis looking like the last person on earth of a group of people who were murdered, like a genocide by the fire nation, by his own people is like a really tragic and also beautiful thing to be like, Oh, maybe what this is about is also empathy and, um, and trying to understand the almost like the historical, pain that your your people have brought upon another person and like put yourself in their shoes um i don't know maybe i'm stretching it a little bit but i just think it's really pretty yeah no i think you're right on i think that 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 all of those things are at play and i again i i'm curious to see as we go forward you know zuko is how does he come out of this process that he's in what do, it feels like we're setting up whatever season three Zuko is going to be. Um, and it might be a much longer journey still. It might be that the metamorphosis is not this instant thing, you know, um, uh, for video store this week, we watched a movie called tender mercies. And there's a scene about halfway through the movie where two of the characters are baptized and they have this conversation as they're driving home from the baptism. And they're talking about, well, do you feel different? Have you, you feel changed and they're sort of like well not yet but there's this faith that this thing is going to happen so just because he's going through this metamorphosis doesn't mean the change is going to be instant you know mm-hmm. or 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 that the line is going to be a straight line you know from, from where he goes from here 
<clears throat> so from there, we cut back to Aang and Sokka flying on Appa. And Sokka says, you see, Aang, a little positive thinking works wonders. We got the king on our side. We got Long Fang arrested. And we, when we get back, Suki's waiting for me. And Aang, kind of half listening to Sokka, dreamily says, yeah, girl's waiting for us. Thanks, positive attitude. And Sokka says, everything's going to work out perfectly from now on and forever. <laughs> which are just like great famous last words. Because right. from... From here, we cut to a series of, oh, things are not all what they seem. So we cut to a Dai Li prison cell, and we see Long Fang sitting in his cell, and a Dai Li guard brings him food and kind of slides it under the door like he's in solitary confinement. Now, I will say, I know you're not a meat eater, but that meal looked pretty good. It was like big mm-hmm. shrimp and these like rice stuff. It looked phenomenal, uh, which for prison food, I don't know if prison food's good, but like the prison food Long Feng gets is pretty good. So as he's passing him the food, the guard says, the Council of Five and the military are loyal to the Earth King, but the Dai Li remains loyal to you, Long Feng, sir. So we see, and we see Long Feng sort of smile at this, right? So there's this sense that like he's st- he's in jail, but he still is a power in Ba Sing Se. And we're going to get to see how he maybe tries to wield that power. From there, we cut to Toph standing outside of an upper ring house, and she knocks on the door, and then she walks in, and she's calling out for her mother. The house seems dark and empty, and out of nowhere, we see this massive kind of metal case come down and like scoop her up and capture her, very much like the the kind of coffin thing that um, Boomy was in without the face window, right? It's just this metal case, which as an earthbender is a problem for her. So she yells out, who do you think you're dealing with? And at this point, we see uh, Zin Fu and Master Yu. And Zin Fu says, one loudmouth little brat who strayed too far from home. So we know that at least that letter was a setup. Mm-hmm. Now, Aang's letter we know is real, right? We know that they're actually... Now, we don't know that they gave him the real letter, but we know that there was a letter there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, now we have Toph captured. And again, if we're going to play the empire strikes back game, it's not too far to think about Toph encased in metal. And I I said um, many episodes ago that I think Toph is kind of the Han Solo encased in carbonite. Right. So this is, we have, we have Toph captured just like, just like Han sort of. Oh my gosh. You totally said that. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Uh, and then from here, we cut back to the Earth King's palace, and we see the king out in front waiting for his guests. And the soldiers are aligned in two columns, and we see three Kyoshi warriors approach, uh, and we see them from behind. And they bow before the king, and the king says, In our hour of need, it is with the highest honor that we welcome our esteemed allies, the Kyoshi warriors. And now we cut to seeing the warriors from the front as they look up. And we see that they are Azula, May, and Tai Lee in Kyoshi costumes. And Azula says, we are the Earth King's humble servants. And that's the episode. Such a smart end. I didn't see that coming. I, mm-hmm. it did, and it, I'm dumb because when he said there were three, I should have been like, but, but Suki has, there's like eight of them in Appa's Lost Days. So unless some of them died, it's like, why is there only three that are coming? It does. She seems very loyal to her group. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so it's it was like oh obviously this is what it is which which makes me wonder like what happened to suki like the last thing we got was that that battle and clearly they're wearing kiyoshi warrior garb now azula has the means to probably just get things like this but i'm wondering if they were maybe acquired uh in a darker way So as we think about this episode, themes, observations, things we've learned that you want to talk about. Man. um, Whew, there's a lot. So I guess at the end of it, some of my questions were the Council of Five. They say that the loyalty is to the king, but I don't man, I just don't know how that's going to pan out. And now we have the gang split up and the only person who's back in the palace is um, Katara, right? Yeah, yeah. Which makes me wonder, when the Kyoshi warriors show up, where's Katara? Why is she not with the Earth King 24-7? Yeah. Because she would recognize them instantly. Mm -hmm. You would think. Um. One of the other thoughts that I had coming out of this episode is is the Earth King actually has real power. That I didn't know that the Earth I didn't even know if the Earth King was going to be a real person, but it's like the Earth King has real power, had power over Long Fang. Now, we also see that the the Dai Li has real power as well. I think the Gang of 5 or the Gang of 5, the um Council of 5, I think that's a real that's real commitment to the Earth King. And the reason that I say that is because where we hear that they're loyal to the king is in a conversation between Long Fang and a Dai Li member. So there presumably that would be an honest conversation. Yeah. You know, unless that random Dai Li guy is trying to play Long Fang, which I don't think is going to be the case. That would be super confusing because he's not really a, he's a red shirt. He's not really a character. So yeah, at that point it'd be like, this is a bit too convoluted for a kid show. <laughs> right. Right. So, so I presume that, that that split is real, but the earth King has, has real power and he is now aligned with our heroes, but he's also aligned with Azula. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and clearly we're going to see where that plays out uh, in future episodes. Some other questions, I guess. So we know that the letter from Toph's mom is forged. So it's like, is anything else of that treasure trove or that like trunk of gifts? Is any anything else in there accurate or not? Was that all staged? I had the same thing in my notes, right? Uh, uh, what will Aang and Sokka find when they reach their destinations? Um, but then I also thought potentially all of those letters could have been real because it could have just been that, that uh, the bounty hunters who were seeking after Toph wrote a letter to Toph and this was their whole gambit. And it just happened that this letter got intercepted and got put into this file. Cause it, I mean, because the truth is Aang is getting sent to the place where it, if they were going to forge that, why wouldn't they send him to the Western air temple, like somewhere far away. Instead, they're sending him to the exact place. Yes. Um, so and, we'll see. Yeah. And general how I think was the one who said the thing about the intelligence report. So mm-hmm. that feels valid because he's in the council of five. Um, and 
that information isn't coming from anything that Long Feng seemed to have, but like from his own understanding. Exactly. Um, so at least with that, that felt more sincere. But yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It makes you question everything this episode. I love how it's shaping up for the end game for this episode. And we said this was also kind of setting the table and propelling us in some different directions. Um, because we have the group split up. We have them going to these destinations like we don't know what's going to happen to Toph. We don't know what Sokka is going to find. We don't really know what the Guru Aang thing is going to be about. What he's we presumably because of the connection that Appa had with the Guru, we can presume this is going to be this important relationship. But we don't know what that's going to be about yet. Other things that I was thinking about, you know, like what is Azula's plan? So now she has managed to infiltrate Ba Sing Se, which presumably no other Fire Nation person has. She's managed to infiltrate. She now has the ear of the Earth King. So I'm really curious to see where that's going to head. I wonder how powerful Long Fang is. I mean, they have established that he still has control of the Dai Li. The Dai Li seems powerful, uh, far-reaching. What is that going to mean? What is that going to look like? He kind of has like an army of the undead or <laughs> like he kind of has these people that, that he has brainwashed that he can turn in a second and he knows who they are and where they are. So, <laughs> you know, like army of the undead is a little bit extreme, but like, Oh, you're right though. That he can like, he can use them. Annie, that is the next question that I had. I, I wrote, has anything changed for the people of Bossing say, what happens to folks like Judy? Because mm. there's a whole team of those women, but presumably those aren't the only brainwashed people. Mm-hmm. Presumably there is the Dai Li and then all of those folks. What, what has changed for them? For sure. And then the last thing I have really has to do with Zuko. Sort of what we talked about kind of what our speculations are for Zuko's visions and what they mean. Uh, He still seems like he's at a crossroads. I mean, this doesn't end with uh, a clear picture of where he goes from here. So what I'm curious about is when he comes out of this fever, this metamorphosis, Will he have already made his choice? Is the choice happening in this metamorphosis fever? Or is it pointing to the fact that he will have a choice or choices to make going forward? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I wonder. And like, man, I guess I always thought of it as being a like the metamorphosis is now. But we don't, I mean, it's a long journey, right? Like <laughs> his change isn't just in an episode. And Maybe it's more about, are you going to listen to the blue dragon or the red dragon? Because those are the two different voices that are the strongest. Right. And is this a choice you make once or is this a choice that you make every day of your life? And there's still a whole nother season after this that I presume Zuko is going to continue to be at the center of along with Aang and, 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 and the Aang gang. So I can't imagine his story arc ends now that I, I imagine there's a lot more to this, um, which made me think, this is the last question that I have. Um, you know, I've made a lot of throughout all this whole run, I've made a lot of star Wars references. And I was like, Oh, this feels like that. And again, part of it is star Wars is this dominant cultural thing for gen Xers, the people who are creating this. 
Part of it is Joseph Campbell monomyth that all stories kind of have elements of these things. But I want to give some credit to Avatar as well, because I wonder, the more I look at Zuko and his storyline, did the folks like J.J. Abrams, who did the last trilogy and created a character like Kylo Ren, like how much did they crib from Avatar? Did they because there there is some dna between the avatar world and the star wars world i'm not sure exactly when all of that happens but dave filoni does um has worked on the mandalorian i think he worked on um maybe worked on clone wars and has also directed episodes of avatar things like that so like there is some dna there and i'm just wondering like is there little bits of zuko that showed up in the creation of someone like kylo ren because it feels so much like the I have this destiny and this destiny and, and, you know, having this character really caught between these worlds. And if you look at the story of Kylo Ren, it's not like he makes that decision once he keeps kind of flipping back and forth. And I feel that way about Zuko. So I want to give avatar some credit for that too. Like, I just wonder, uh, and it might be that none of those people had any notion of avatar, but it sure feels, he feels a lot like, like Kylo Ren. That's real good. Yep, yep. That's great. I, w- I want us to talk about this more in season three, especially because I know a little bit more than you do about season three. Uh, and I think it's that's a great way to look at both of those characters. Also, appearance-wise, they kind of yep. look similar too. <laughs> yes, they do. Like, like tall, Absolutely. thin, brooding, dark hair. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have been surprised if Kylo Ren just had a big scar, you know, in his right eye or his left eye. Like, I would have bought that. For sure. Annie, this is a great episode. It's a John yeah. O'Brien episode. It's, uh, I I think, I love the shape of this episode. I love that they, it doesn't require another action set piece. I'm curious about if we're going to have more episodes that just don't even have the action set piece at all. I have no idea where we're headed in this next episode. I'm really excited. I can tell by the title of the next episode that um, Ang is at least going to reach his destination or there's going to be something about that destination there because it's embedded in this. Um, but this one, this is great. And I feel so our, the last episode or episodes of this season is a two part episode. Uh, at least on Netflix, it's it's packaged as one episode that has two chapters in it, um, and I can't wait to dig into uh, to dig into both of those episodes. I'm really curious to see, and I said this at the beginning of, of the show, how much this season is going to end with kind of an all is lost moment, mm. or is it going to end with a resolution and an indication of maybe there's something darker at the edges. I'm curious to see if they feel the need to resolve something with season two or if it just propels us into season three. Yeah, it's going to be so fun. Well, Annie, that is all the time we have uh, for this week. We will be back next week with Book to Earth, Chapter 19. The Guru.